a real uh, privilege and a pleasure to be with you guys here this morning and be in uh, Nelson. Uh, I travel, uh, as was mentioned, I travel across Canada and the USA uh, in different settings, you know, high schools, uh, universities, and um, those are actually the, the universities especially, those are the settings that I'm in uh, uh, mostly. But there are certain places that I actually am very happy to tell my wife that I'm visiting. You know, for instance, I uh, was in Winnipeg in January. Now, for those of you who know Winnipeg and the month of January <laughs> in Canada, you'll know that that, that was a mistake. <laughs> um, we should, I have no idea why we were scheduled to be in uh, Winnipeg, but I was very happy every day to call and say, honey, it's, it's not good out here. It's minus 40. Yeah, you know, this, is the, this is the tough part of the job. You know, um, and when I came here yesterday, I thought, I don't know if I want to actually say, you know, that I'm surrounded here by mountains and lakes, um, because that, that that's not going to actually portray the job uh, as, you know, toughing it uh, out. But um, I, it really is a, a, a privilege to be here. Uh, I, I count it as a huge treat to be uh, here with you. And um, I think, as uh, Basil just prayed, that's the heart of, I think, that, that, that and I share that sentiment that you know that hopefully the, the um, through through the talks through the time I have to interact with you and uh, uh, and speak to you um, you'll hear the Lord speak to you um, that this won't be just something really interesting but actually a means by which you you catch something of what what God has for you and what he wants to say to you it, now if you have your Bibles I'm going to be looking at Luke uh, chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and this is the story of uh, Peter uh, being called by Christ. And I'm just going to read the story. Luke 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and, w- and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. <coughs> now, when we come to a story like this, we, we face obstacles. We face challenges. And those challenges have the the, the potential to um, inhibit us from understanding the fullness of what is actually taking place in this story. Uh, now, there are many challenges, but one 
I find is for those of us who have maybe you know been in the church for a while or are Christians, it's over-familiarity. Over-familiarity. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that for many of us, we've read this passage loads of times, umpteen times. So th- there comes a point at which the information just washes over us. We don't really actually, you know, we, think it's a, we still think it's a really interesting story, but the profundity is, is lost. So hopefully in the next few moments that we have here, th- I think the job that we are given is to somehow rescue truth from over-familiarity. The, the second uh, challenge is the cultural disconnect. Uh, and sometimes this comes through I th- what, what is taking place in the culture in first century Palestine uh, w- w- from where the story took place, but also sometimes the language. You know, uh, Bible uh, interpreters and scholars will say that in order to understand the Bible, you know, the New Testament, which was written in Greek or the Old Testament, you know, mostly in Hebrew, um, you need to understand the language. And that is true. But what many scholars are saying now is we not only need to rescue the language, we need to rescue the culture. In order to understand what's taking place in these stories, we need to understand how did the original listeners uh, interpret these stories? What was taking place? And so really in the next few minutes, what I want to do is do a bit of translation, you know, help, help us understand, sort of get us back into that first century Palestine culture to understand what was taking place, uh, what was felt, what was understood by these guys who you know, were in the story and for the original listeners. And I want to start um, by looking at the context. Context is everything. Um, and the context is this. Jesus is teaching on a beach, okay, which is really interesting. You know, Jesus was uh, the rabbi. You know, he was the, the holy guy. And um, it's a, it's a smelly landing area. Fishermen are there, and they're cleaning their nets. So it's smelly. But not only that, they're disgruntled because they have just experienced an un- unfruitful night of catching fish. They've, they've come up empty. So Jesus has these crowds, this crowd pressing in on him, and then he has the fishermen around him cleaning their nets, and they're, they're, they're a bit grumpy. And then Jesus looks to Peter and says, look, I want you to cast your, uh, cast your net out into the deep. And this is just comes after uh, he tells Peter that he wants to use his boat for electing. So he, Jesus is in the boat with Peter, and uh, he's, he's teaching the crowd. And he looks to Peter, and he says, look, cast your net out into the deep. Now, we need to stop there for a second. That request, that instruction given from Jesus is absurd. Absolutely absurd. Now, at first glance, it, wouldn't, it doesn't really seem so absurd because, well, Peter is a fisherman, um, and so, you know, when someone says to him, cast your net in the deep, well, it makes sense because he's the fisher, and, you know, he's a fisherman, and he knows what to do. He's got the nets, put the nets in deep. But this is why it is absurd. Let me explain to you why it is ridiculous what Jesus suggests. At, you know, at the most basic level, it is absurd because Jesus is the rabbi, and he's instructing the fishermen how to fish. If I were Peter, I would probably be thinking something along the lines of, Jesus, you're the rabbi. You're the holy guy. You do like God's business. I don't tell you how to do that. Okay? I'm the fisherman. I'm the professional fisherman. Don't tell me what to do. But it's more than that. 
fishermen back then on the Sea of Galilee, which this is where it takes place, Lake Gennesaret, fishermen back then and still today, they do not fish during the day. They fish at nighttime. Uh, and, and, and more than that, Jesus has pitched nets out there deep. Well, fish are not out in the deep in the Lake Gennesaret. They are near the shore. During the day, they hide under rocks. But, uh, uh, sorry, during the day, they hide under rocks, and at nighttime, they're out in the feeding near the shore. And here's, here's the clincher for me. The nets that they were actually using were specifically used for nighttime fishing. Uh, they're called uh, trammel nets. Now, in other words, they were made of linen, okay? So if you can picture this now, I'm not a fisherman, but this, you know, I know this much. Fishing one-on-one. Generally speaking, fish do not willingly go into a net that they can see, okay? So if you can imagine, Jesus is saying, look, take these nets, cast them out in the deep. Peter is thinking, yeah, but Jesus, they're going to, this doesn't work. This, they, they use specifically for nighttime. So that is why, given all the information here, this is why Peter says to him, look, Master, we toil all night. Jesus, I don't know if you're getting it here. Have, have you seen this fish? No, apparently not. So there's a bit of incredulity there. Peter is suspicious. But there's trust. He says, Master, we toiled all night, but at your word. At your word, I'll uh, put, put the net under these. And then something remarkable happens. Peter puts his nets out in the deep, and the nets start breaking. The nets start cracking. And Peter signals to his friends to, to, for help. Now, that word signal is very important. Luke, who's, the, who's telling us the story, he would, we know this much, he was a medical doctor. And he, and he's very specific in his details. So that word signal is very important. Why is it, why is it important? Because for Peter, fish meant money, okay? The amount of fish that um, Peter would bring back uh, to the market, that meant more money. Less fish means less money. So on a day like this in which Peter catches nothing, I'm thinking it's not going to be a good day for husband and wife. He comes back and he's probably going to be in the doghouse. Okay, he comes back and says, "Honey, look, I'm sorry, I came up empty." But instead, he's got he's got all these fish. I mean, this is a, an unimaginable catch of fish. This is a lottery catch for Peter. This is, I mean, when Peter sees this catch of fish, he thinks money. He thinks I'm going back to my wife and kids. Thanks, honey. You know the Bahamas cruise we wanted? We're doing we're doing the Bahamas. Kids, we're going to Disneyland. Pack the bags. That's what he's thinking. So when he signals, the reason why he signals is because this is a financial secret to be kept. Now, for those of you who know the water, you know that the voice travels seven times faster over water than on land. So Peter is not shouting because he has no idea what's going on. He's out in the deep with the fish on. He's using these nets that they're used specifically for nighttime. He's coming into this catch, and he, the money. So he says, hey, you guys, get over here. I need your help. I have no idea what's going on. People come. But then something strange happens. Peter falls down on his knees and says to Jesus, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O 
the Lord. And that the reason why that's strange to me is because that type of language is used in, in Scripture, in, in the Bible, only by people who, who are, are undoubtedly in the presence of God. Uh, one story comes to us from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, in which Isaiah has a vision of being in the temple of the Lord, and uh, he says, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He's in the presence of God, and he, ha- he uses the language very similar to what Peter says here. There's something that Peter sees in Christ that signals something, that he knows that he's not just in the presence of a rabbi or a really good teacher, that he's in the presence of God. The story begins by Peter saying, Master, we toiled all night. And then the end, Peter says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Oh, Lord. The beginning, master, in the, in the Greek, it's, it's ambiguous. It could be a master, chief, it could be boss. Fast forward to that word, Lord. It's, there's no ambi- ambiguity. It's exclusive. And I've got a question for you. Have you ever asked yourself, who is God? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever wondered what God is really like? Now, for those of you here who would say, yes, I have, and and you actually might say, um, I have asked that question, but I'm unsure. Actually, Joel, I don't really have it figured out. I have, I, I've got so many questions, and that question hasn't been helpful for me. I'm very uncertain. If that is you, I want to encourage you that that is okay. Uncertainty is okay. Not necessarily as a stopping point, not as the end, but maybe as a, as a point along the way in our journey. Because I, I, I actually find it really interesting, the people in the New Testament, the people who followed Christ, the people who were like in his inner circle, um, they didn't have all the answers yet. They had their doubts. They, they, they knew a bit of it, but they didn't actually get all of it. Uh, like there are so many stories in the Gospels that I think, wow, this is really amazing. They, like Jesus does these miracles that are unmistakably like God. And these you know, disciples, the, the people who are following Christ, they're just left looking at each other saying, yes, this is the guy. the best they can do. So I want to encourage you and say, look, if, if you're at a point right now where you're uncertain, where you have doubts, that's okay as, a, as maybe a point along the way. Now the ins- interaction between Jesus and Peter tell us something of who God is, and I want to actually just keep seeing a, a few of the points that I, I gleaned from this, from this story. The first is this. In the story between Christ and Peter, we find out that God is personal. God is personal. Now, really, this is actually, in the story, this is picking up on a bigger point of, of, uh, of the story of Scripture, of the, what people call the grand drama of redemption. Now, in this story, Jesus is the one who initiates the conversation. Did you notice that? Jesus is the one who goes after Peter and says, look, I need to use your boat. Peter, 
put his foot in that in the deep. He is the one who pursues Peter. And this is the story of Christianity, the story of a God who actually comes to us, pursues us while we are actually far off. Very far off. You know, Paul, who, who, who's written many books in the New Testament, he wrote one letter, which is a letter to churches in Rome, in which he says, while we were still sinners, in other words, while we were broken, while we were messed up, Christ died for us. The story of Christianity, the story of the gospel, is not a story of how actually we finally got it right, and then Christ came to us. The story of Christianity is a story of actually how God, seeing how far we were, in our brokenness, he came for us. Do you know that God? Do you know this God? God is personal. But God also speaks to us. God speaks to us. In this story of Peter and, and Jesus, when Christ speaks to Peter, it's deeply profound language. It's, 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 it's very personal. Um, it changes his life. It, it interrupts, it disrupts his vocation, what he does. Um, and I just think for a second, ask yourself, ha- have you ever been able to meet someone uh, who's famous? A celebrity, maybe. Uh, maybe one of your childhood idols. Have you, ever, have you ever met someone like that before? Have you ever been able to talk to them? Anybody? This is an honest question. If you haven't, you haven't. But um, for me, that hasn't happened many times. Now, I actually work for the the Blue Jays ground crew, so I I love baseball. And the next best thing is being able to work on the field um, for the Blue Jays. So I have had an opportunity to meet many people who I loved and looked up to. But in the early 90s, growing up, one of my heroes was a guy by the name of Joe Carter. Okay? Now, Joe Carter, for those of you who do not know, he was the face of the franchise. He was the face of the Blue Jays. And what I mean by this is, if there was one guy that you wanted to come up when the chips were down, Joe Carter was one of those guys. He was the go-to guy. He was the guy who would come up with that big hit and get the, you know, the game winning run. Sorry? You do, uh, yeah, absolutely, Devon White. And w- we'll talk after. I think we can we can talk business after because we we've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> so you, Devon White, we've got Roberto Alamo. We, yeah, yeah, we, we've got a, we've got a lot to work with. But Joe Carter was my hero. Okay, and in 1992, I had the opportunity to go down to spring training and see the Blue Jays play and uh, spring training in Florida. And uh, we had a routine. I was with cousins, and we had a routine. We would go to the games. We'd go there before, during, and after. We'd be able to talk to some of the players, see them, get photos and autographs. After which, we'd come back to the hotel and exchange stories. And, and, and basically, we'd just brag to each other, you know, and say, you know, whose autograph did you get? Whose photo did you get? Uh, who did you talk to? And th- those kind of questions. And there was one day when I met Joe Carter. And we were sitting in the circle you know, at, at in the hotel room, and my cousin looked at me and said, do you talk to anybody today? And I said, oh, yes, I do. He said, well, who did you talk to? And I said, well, I talked to Joe Carter. And he said, what did he say? And I said, he said, 
how are you doing? <laughs> My cousin said, and what did you say? And I said, good. <laughs> to which my cousin said, is that it? And I said, yes. <laughs> now, that 15 seconds, that 30-second exchange between Joe Carter, remember he, he was always Mr. Carter. It was never Joe Carter. It was Mr. Carter and myself. That exchange put me over the moon. It was frightening. But it was superficial. How are you doing? Good. The end. But the profundity of the gospel is a story of God who actually speaks to us. And when he speaks to us, it's profoundly personal. In this story of Peter and Christ, it changes everything. Everything about Peter. Everything all of a sudden changes to life revolving around Christ. Do you know his voice? He speaks. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? This is probably, I think, when we think about it, one of the one of the challenges of one of the one of the greatest challenges faced as Christians here in North America. And the challenge is this. We talk about a gospel that transforms lives. We talk about a gospel that actually, you know, in which God is real, he acts, he intervenes in our lives, he, he speaks. But a question I've been having to ask myself lately is, when, you know, if my friends were to say, look, Nathan, we talk about a God who speaks, but how much do you spend time listening to him? That's a, depending on the day they catch me, that's a tough, tough question to ask, tough question to answer. God speaks to us. He's personal, he speaks, and he is with us. He is with us. I think it's really interesting. Given the busyness of Jesus' schedule, that when Jesus comes to Peter and says, put your net out into the deep, he does not say, look, Peter, as you can see, you know, there are a lot of people who want to listen to me. You know, you know, there's a group over here who actually, they only want me to just travel around Galilee, going to different homes, healing them. There are people over here who just want to listen to me speak. There are people over here who want me to, to come to their place for dinner and have a meal. I'm busy. So, look, it's 7 a.m. right now. Put your net out into the deep. And, look, 2 o'clock, why don't we uh, catch up and debrief? And let me know how this goes. He doesn't do that. Why? Why doesn't Jesus do that? The reason why Jesus doesn't do that is because he's not initiating a business relationship. This is not a business transaction. Jesus is initiating a personal relationship, one in which he's inviting Peter into Christ, into all the things of God. It's not business. It's personal. And he is with Peter every step of the way. When God invites us into something, he doesn't just leave us to it. He's with us, and he's with us every step of the way. He was with Peter. He was in the boat the whole time. We are never alone. Do you know his presence? 
personal, he speaks, he's with us, and he provides free life and freedom. He provides free life and freedom. What do I mean by that? Well, in my study and research, one of the themes that I've discovered in taking place in Luke is this theme that scholars call the, the great reversal. That in Luke, things as they are seem to be reversed in this in this gospel. For some, it's something that Luke, the, the way in which Luke tells the story, there's a great the great reversal, and we see this when Jesus at the end of the story calls to Peter and his friend and says, "Look, you go out right now and fish. You're fishing for fish, but I'm going to actually change what you do. I'm going to change you from catching fish. Now you'll be catching men." going to fish for men. Here's the great reversal. Let me take you back to fishing 101. When you fish, okay, now, now if, if there are fishermen in the audience, please correct me if I'm wrong. When you fish, effectively, you are taking, going out and finding that which is alive and killing it and then placing it in a net, a type of prison finding that which is alive, killing it, and putting it in a net. The great reversal takes place here in that Christ is now saying, look, you're going to go catch men. Catching men is the exact opposite. Christ is calling Peter and his friends to go out and tell others of who Christ is, the life that he offers, and in so doing, they are going to find that which is dead, and bring them to life. And when they find that life, they will not be put into any type of prison. That is when they will find true freedom. That's the great reversal. That's what happens when a person comes to Christ. They experience true life and true freedom. Now, I think this is actually, uh, for the culture in which we live today, really interesting. Because many of the friends I talk to who are not Christians, they, they, they might be interested, but they're, they're, they're not, they're not they're, they aren't Christians. They often say to me, look, Nathan, I, I really respect you. I respect what you believe in, the way, the way you live. I don't get it, but I respect it. But the reason why I can't become a Christian is because if I become a Christian, then I'm going to lose my freedom. I'm going to lose, you know, the, the, the possibility, the, the, the capability to do what I want, when I want. That, that's, that's the big reason. But what Christ is saying here is actually the exact opposite. When you come to him, that's when you experience true freedom. You come to me, Christ says, and that's when, you, that's when life begins. So the question we need to keep asking ourselves is, do people see that in us? People, as they say, you know, people looking for hope. Do they see that in us? Do they see that hope? So I've got a couple of questions for you. For those of you here who are Christians, I'm going to ask you, is there anything keeping you from going further in your relationship with Christ? Just think about that for a moment. Is there anything keeping you from going further in your relationship with Christ? 
and for those of you who may maybe see some maybe exploring the Christian faith, I would like to ask you this question. What is keeping you from committing your life to Christ? What is it? Just think about that for a second. What is keeping you from committing your life to Christ? Is it, is it fear of disappointment? I, mean, I know loads of people who are not Christian who would just say, man, I don't want to become a Christian because I'm, I'll be disappointed. Or maybe fear of the loss of freedom again. I'll lose my freedom. Or is it uncertainty? If it is uncertainty, I want to encourage you again that as we, when we come to Christ, we don't come because we have it figured out. We don't. We, we, when we come to Christ, we bring our questions in tow. The question you have, the, the, the question, those questions that keep us up at night, we bring those to Christ. We don't come to him because we have it figured out. And I want to close with this. And I'm actually, when I say this point, I'm borrowing uh, this point from um, uh, one of my colleagues who's in the UK, a guy by the name of John Lennox, who's a scientist and natural physicist. He makes this point. We talk about provision. God, God provides. He provides for our needs. He uh, provides for food and clothing. He also provides for guilt. He offers forgiveness. But he also provides for the maintenance of of our faith. He provides for the maintenance of our faith. Think back to Peter. Okay? Now, I, uh, Peter is my favorite character in the New Testament. Okay? He gets it right sometimes, but then he also gets it wrong. Dead wrong. And if you remember the story, or not, let me tell you the story of Jesus having what's called the Last Supper, the meal before he's taken uh, and tortured and then killed. He has this meal with his disciples. And during this meal, he looks to Peter and says, Peter, you are going to deny me. You are going to deny me, Peter, three times before the rooster crows. And Peter, in classic fashion, looks at him and says, no. That is not going to happen. That will not happen. Jesus, uh, apparently you don't know who I am. I don't think you get me, Jesus. I will, I'll die with you. I'll go to prison for you, but deny you? Never. Never do that. And as we see the story develop, um, Peter denies his Lord times. And after the rooster crows, we are told that Peter weeps bitterly. And if you read that story, you can, you can feel the sadness. So is that the end for Peter? Is that the end? No. It's not the end for Peter. Why? The reason why it is not the end is because Jesus looks to Peter in that upper room having that meal and he says, Peter, you will deny me. But I have prayed for you. Peter, you are going to deny me, but I have prayed for you that your faith 
should not fail. There's nothing like it if you compare and contrast this idea, this belief, to any other worldview, any other faith. There's nothing that even comes close. This whole idea that when we, the God that we look to, the, the God we pray to is one who actually prays for us. He is, as the scriptures tell us, our high priest. There's nothing like this. This is huge. Do you know this God? provides life and freedom. And as I was thinking about this, and just praying this morning, I had a sense that there might be a feeling of one that you're very far away from God. Too far. And I want to say that actually, if that is you, the good news, well, this, the Christianity is a bad news, good news story bad news is we are messed up that is bad news we are broken but the good news is he did something about it in that the whole idea of us being too far away is simply not the case we're never too far we're never out of reach so the invitation is simply that it's an invitation it's not a demand it's not a demand it's an invitation to say like frank said today sit down don't get close to me Other, um, the other um, point I want to mention is, you know, we were singing this morning that song, um, uh, though there's pain in the night, joy comes in the morning. And I, I had a sense that they m there might be people here who might say, yeah, I know that there's pain in the night, but the night seems to be long. The night is long right now. And I, I, I guess I just want to encourage you to say the night seem long, the night might seem long, and the night, the pain might seem very severe. But joy does come in the morning. There is joy. It's just as real. It's strong. And I want to leave on those two notes. I want to pray with you, and maybe invite you if you want to take a minute or two, um, maybe come for prayer. And then I'll just give it back to Jeff here as to how you want to close uh, the service. But let me pray, and then I'll hand it back to you. Father, thank you. We thank you that despite the, uh, you know, the reality of bad things out there, and also sometimes the wrong that is inside of us, you, you've done something about that. brought us life, you brought us hope and freedom. Thank you that you are personal. And that while we were far away, you came to us, you, you rescued us. I pray that in this moment, you would continue to speak to us to hear your voice in this. And I pray that your voice would be heard 
perhaps in silence, but even amidst busyness. 